in a book titled A Report on Knowledge. The French philosopher Jean-Francois Lyotard coined a phrase, grand narrative. Some people will call it meta-narrative. And in that book, Lyotard argued that a person's story or a community's narrative is a window into the past, the present, and the future of the person. And so the idea of narratives or grand narratives is that when you want to understand the identity of a person or the identity of a community, you begin with their narratives. And so Lyotard argues that if we want to have peace in our world, we want to have social harmony in our world, it might begin by all of us looking at the grand narratives of every religion. Each religion looking inwards and trying to understand their story and what their story really means. And I think, in a sense, I agree with the concept of narratives and grand narratives and how that sometimes shapes the way you understand the other person. In the part of Africa where I come from, for instance, our, our African names usually are very long names, for those of you who may try to pronounce them. And the reason why they are long is because, as a matter of fact, most of the names are sentences with a subject, verb, and predicate, all slushed together and given to one person as a name. And so when you hear somebody in Africa where I come from, a kid is given the name, for instance, Obianuju. That's a statement that says, she has come at the peak of my wealth. And so when I see a little kid, I say, what's your name? My name is Obianuju. I can backstep a little bit and begin to figure out what must have gone on in their family when that little kid was born. Or maybe when you see a kid back home in Africa, and you say, what's your name? I say, my name is Maduabuchi, which is actually my own name. Maduabuchi means divine power is incomparable. Once you hear somebody say that's this person's name, you're like, hmm, something must have happened when this kid was born. It's either the mother had difficulty with delivery, or there must be something, and then when the child eventually arrived, everybody was like, amen, hallelujah. And so you begin to see how just the name becomes a narrative that opens a window into a person's history, into a person's identity, and as a matter of fact, into a person's worldview. Or maybe take Pennsylvania as another example. You know, when I, came, when I moved to Pennsylvania last year, the very first thing that stood out to me the few nights after I moved into the rectory was when I was driving around the neighborhood and I saw candle lights or electric lights at every window of several homes. And I was like, what's going on here? You drive by a street, you see candle lights, every window has light, light, light. And that puzzled me. And so I did what most persons do today. I Googled it. <laughs> Quickly, Googled it. Why do people have candle lights by their windows in Pennsylvania or something like that? 
And I found interesting answers. Some people say it goes back to centuries ago. And as a matter of fact, that it represents some sense of warmness or warmth of the family. And so when you see candlelights by windows of certain homes, it's a sign of welcoming. And that's narrative. That tells a lot about the community I moved into. And so when at 7 in the evening or at 6 in the evening, I decide to take a walk, my heart tells me, move on. Nothing to worry about. This is a safe community with all these candlelights all over the place. Boy, you are safe. Amen. <laughs> Narrative. Tonight we celebrate one of the greatest narratives of our Christian faith. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This narrative defines our identity as Christians. The story of the birth of Christ shapes even the way we look at life and the way we look at one another. So let me just identify two very critical things about the story of Christmas. Number one is incarnation. The fact that God himself has taken human flesh means that you and I have now been dignified in the image and in the likeness of God. The very fact of the incarnation simply means that God, the light of God, now shines in the human experience. And secondly, we now have Emmanuel. That God is with us. Emmanuel reminds us, as the readings tell us, that for those who walk in darkness, the light of God now shines. Emmanuel reminds you and reminds me that our life and our life's journeys, we are not alone. That God is with us. And so what the Feast of Christmas simply means for us as Christians is that we are now a people of hope. We are now a people of joy. And like I often tell my students, when I talk about joy, I don't mean I feel good. Nah, 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 nah. That's not the kind of joy I'm talking about. Because that will be joy as emotion. Joy for us is as an attitude. Joy as a way of looking at life because Christ has come and Emmanuel is with us. So what is our take home for Christmas? What is the spirituality of Christmas that I want us to take home tonight? You know, just as people in Pennsylvania will leave candles by their windows all year round, that should be our spirituality. And so as we are now unwrapping the Christmas gifts, it's important for us to remember that the greatest gift we can give to one another during this season of Christmas is the gift of our hearts, the gift of love. The greatest gift that Christ has given to us is the gift of himself. And so he also wants us 
to open the windows of our hearts and let those flickers of light continue to shine in your heart all year round so that the peace of Christ, the love of Christ, the joy of Christ will continue to remain abundantly in our hearts. Let us now bow our heads and pray. Come, live in the light. Shine with joy for the love of the Lord we are called. To be light for the kingdom, to live in the freedom of the city of God. We are called to act with justice. We are called to love tenderly. We are called to serve one another, to walk.